The Matt Hasselbeck Show. Presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Seahawks legend Matt Hasselbeck takes you inside the Seahawks and the NFL for a full hour. Exclusively on the Mike Sox Show. Must be an East Coast thing, Maura. Must be an East Coast thing. Matt Hasselbeck Show starting now here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Matt, you're on our snickerdoodle side, huh? No, I, I guess I'm on the right side. What side are you on? I'm on the, eh, kind of okay. <sighs> yeah, eh. Like, it's kind of like oatmeal raisin cookies. Like, it's the reason I think a lot of people have trust issues. You grab it, you think it's chocolate chip, and, like, you take a bite, and you're like, oh, man. And then you don't want to waste it, so you just go ahead and have the empty sure. calorie sugar you don't need. And Yeah. Okay, well, they not, were talking yesterday about black and whites. How do you feel about black and whites? Because I never even heard of them until yesterday. Mm, yeah, I think I know what those are. I, not that's not my thing. My thing is like probably chocolate uh, chip macadamia nut cookies, mm. or like the big thing right now. Teddy Bruschi goes to this bakery in New York because our uh, Sunday NFL countdown shows in New York now, and he'll go get this like chocolate cookie with like peanut butter morsels in it, and it is just the absolute <laughs> best. It's the absolute. You can only have one. It's so good. You can only have one cookie. It's like too, too rich not to have it with like a coffee or a something. I'm milk, impressed Teddy's something. eating those things because he looks pretty good. I mean, he looks thin compared to his playing days, right? Teddy's amazing. He eats like an offensive lineman and he runs like a marathoner and the result is a guy that looks, uh, I mean, he, he looks amazing. He's, yeah. uh, he's in great shape. Uh, let's uh, talk some football with you. It's always good to have you, Matt. we got a good hour planned. We've got some fun stuff. We've got our Wednesday code word, of course, coming up here. I'll let you guys know we're going to announce the show Seahawks code word in the next 20 minutes or so. Uh, it's your chance to win a couple tickets. See the Seahawks and Lions on January 2nd. Tickets for that matchup remain at Seahawks.com slash tickets. And don't forget, you can stop by the Seahawks Pro Shop this holiday season for the latest styles, decorations, and in-store sales all month long. Um, Matt, hey, I'm feeling like this oh. code word's kind of an important thing. Yes. You know, you, two weeks ago, it was Everett. He had three turnovers on his own. Right. Last week, I think you picked run. Yes. And then, pfft, that was amazing. They you ran know, the Rashard ball. Rashard Penny, out of nowhere, sure. he ran the ball. The team, almost 200 yards rushing. Like So, uh, whatever word you have picked this week, yep. I, I hope you picked the right word. I think it's a good one, actually. Okay. Hopefully, it's what the Seahawks are good at and not what the Rams are good at. So, we'll 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 hear that coming up in about 20. Okay, I can't wait. Can't so, you wait. liked what you saw from the Hawks, huh? On Sunday, looked pretty good. I mean... The, the second half, like I, I was, it was one of those games where you're watching it and you're like, uh, guys, what's going on? This is Houston. Like we're, we're poised for another letdown here at 16, 13 at the half. Uh, they had the momentum with that 61 yard field goal. It was like, what's going on? And then second half, boom, turned it on different team commanding victory. Thought Russ had his best game since his injury. Tyler Lockett. Amazing. Rashard Penny out of nowhere comes in like looks like i don't know like who was that it was it was awesome and uh in the defense you know again just a, just a really really strong second half gave up a bunch of yards and garbage time prevent defense at the very end but if you take that out of it they were they were really uh you know they were better than they've been and it's it's uh it's it's, it's like all coming together Finally, it's all coming together. Yeah, so let's let's start with Penny, just because he he's been such an interesting topic. I think topic I think this week and what he did. How do you judge a running back like him? Like, what are you looking for in a player like Rashad Penny? Yeah, you know, truthfully, like I've never really said this, but I just never saw it. Like, I never really thought, like, uh, I don't know. I know you're drafted high, but like, 
I hadn't seen it, you know, and maybe he's showing it in other places and practice and stuff. But I remember when he was taking carries away from Chris Carson before Chris Carson was like the guy mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and everything that you had, I think heard from, you know, coaches and scouts in Seattle, you saw it on display this week. He looked like a different guy. You know, it, it, it almost in this crazy way, like I remember, you know, like, so go back a week. I think it was a week where Adrian Peterson gets signed, right? And it's like, we're sending a message. You know, we're sending a message that we're not out of it. We're three and eight or whatever. And, and we're not, I guess it was two weeks ago. We're not giving up. You know, we're trying to go one and oh, we're looking for anybody in the world that can help us, you know, win or whatever. And that's true. But like, and I think that was a great message. But another thing that it does is it brings a guy like that into your running back room. And I remember when he went to the Saints. And you saw a difference in Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara after that time. Like, it didn't work out for him in the Saints. Like, he didn't get enough carries. It was a crowded running back room. He gets traded. But it it, it did something to that room, being around such one of the, the all-time greats at that position. And, you know, like, I just remember there was a time in, in my years in Seattle where, uh, you know, the Trent Dilfer was hurt and all the backups were hurt. And they went out and signed Jeff George. And like, Jeff George, you know, was wasn't like the this Hall of Fame quarterback or or whatever, but he's a very very talented quarterback. And when the, when it came to like vertical passing game type stuff, there was really very few people in the world ever better at it. And like that time that Jeff George was just even in that quarterback room, it was good for me. It was good for the wide receivers. It was good for the coaches. So I just wonder if like having a guy like Adrian Peterson, like in a way like. It helped mindset wise or physic something like Rashard Penny looked different. Well, to I me. think, or the, even the, just coaching up the O line. I think like, the mindset stuff. There's some reality there. I mean, this is a guy that a few weeks ago, before before they brought in Adrian Peterson, he was likely to go on IR, finish his year, and it seems like maybe there was some sort of a. A, a, a come to Jesus meeting or something where let him know like, hey man, that's not going to work because all of a sudden he had a miraculous recovery and you saw what you saw the last two weeks. I, you know what? It, like the first play of the game was a nine yard gain. I think it was a run like straight up. Like it was just, it was like, whoa, who is this? Like sending a message. And then even when they blocked things wrong early in that game, he was like, yep, don't care. I'm not going to sit around here and be like, oh, well technically I'm supposed to go. No, I'm going like, I'm just downhill. Mm. I don't care. It just looked different to me and it was exciting and then obviously the things that everyone's going to really get excited about are when you take a 10 yard run and you turn it into a long touchdown run like those explosive runs because really what you do in the run game your whole goal is to block it up and you leave one for the running back that's how you say it hey we're going to leave one for the running back and basically you coach up everybody then you say running back this is the guy we're not blocking that's your guy and typically you would like it to be the cornerback because the corners typically don't like to tackle. <laughs> but usually it's going to end up being a safety. And, hey, that's your guy. Well, in this game, when they left that guy for Richard Penny, he made a miss. Mm. And then he would take it to the house with, you know, explosive touchdown type plays. And, that, and that's, you know, that gets everybody going. That's a that's a game-changing type back. And that's what he was um in a career day, I got Saturday. to watch him one day. Uh, this was when he when he first got into the league, and he was hurt. He hurt his, I think it was his finger right off the bat in training camp or something like that. And we were at Seahawks camp, and just watching him do the sort of like the feet drills through like the mesh netting type stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and I was so blown away at how fast his feet were compared to the other running backs, compared to Carson, compared to I think even J D. McKissick was there at the time. I mean, like. 
his feet are ridiculous. When you're looking at a running back in general, what, what, what are the qualities you're looking for? Yeah, I think that's dangerous looking at that kind of stuff and thinking that equals a great runner. It's kind of like looking at a quarterback who can throw the ball far. Right. Like sometimes scouts get enamored by that stuff, but like, you know, the best runners that I have played with, you know, I'm just thinking recently, like I played with Frank Gore. Frank Gore is not going to dominate a combine. He's not going to maybe impress you in, in, in running back individual drill, but he's a football player. You know, even Edger and James would be a guy like he, he had a short stint in Seattle at the end. But uh, like, again, not not going to wow you in those kind of a drills, those kind of drills. But he's a football player, you know, like so I just think there's a danger and there's a you really got to know what you're. Uh, I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's more difficult to evaluate players than I think people realize, like just watching somebody in the first 15 minutes of practice, watching how you throw a spiral, watching how you run a route on air. Uh, running backs watching how you basically do the high knee drill through mesh netting or you know old school they think like uh tire drill sure. you know like that kind of stuff like bag drill like uh, you know you got to be careful because if you look at the guys in the hall of fame i just wonder how they would stack up it's the old thing like jerry rice wasn't fast in a 40 well he <laughs> was uncoverable too so <laughs> figure it out what uh when you have a running game like they did this weekend what does that do to open up the rest of what they're trying to do offensively yeah, I, th- I think like honestly, like the, the one of the things that uh, people don't realize is the effect that it has on your defense. Like the opportunity that you have for the guys on defense to get a breather. Never, never mind what it does to your offense. I mean, the offense, the things are obvious. Obviously, like the naked bootleg game, the play action game. Those are those are staples of most offenses for sure. For sure, Seattle's offense. You know, they get their tight ends going in the naked bootleg game. They get the freebies, the layups going for the quarterback and some receivers in the naked bootleg. And then the play, the, the play action game, that's when Seattle has been so successful uh, taking shots. So play action or, you know, in this, in, you know, in Seattle's case, a little bit of scramble drill, but, but it just helps out everybody, helps out the offensive line probably more than anybody because they have the opportunity to be the aggressor and go out and fire out and be a run blocker instead of having to be the passive sit back and, you know, try to hand fight somebody uh, in the, in the pass protection game. But um, you know, it, it, it sort of solves and cures a lot, a lot of different things. That's why I think you hear so many coaches, especially coaches like Pete Carroll who are so like, just they're so they thirst for a great running game. They really do. Well, it sure seemed to help Russ too. I mean, I, you know, I don't know what you thought. It, it seems like he's close to being back to being Ross. So there were still a few throws that he bounced or overthrew whatever that were just didn't quite look as crisp and accurate as he has over the course of a decade. But overall, I mean, it was hard to say that he didn't look a whole lot closer to being himself than he's been. Right. Yeah. You know, I think when he misses those, like the you mentioned, the one he bounced to lock it, something's off with the feet. Yeah. The one to lock it. Obviously he's got great chemistry with lock it, but you know, when, when the feet aren't right, the arm isn't right, you mm-hmm. know, but you know, I, I just still think it's uh this offense is an interesting. It's it's kind of like a work in progress. I mean, it was eight minutes into the game, he didn't have a downfield completion. But then you know, so you're like, oh gosh, is this like the same old thing? And then it's third and ten, and he has a scramble and seriously one of the most impressive plays of the entire week across the NFL is Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett on that first third and ten. And then you know, which was more the, impressive, the throw or the catch? I mean, they were both the, pretty they, awesome. They, they both go hand in hand in the chemistry that those two guys have. 
but 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 again, it's like his second his second downfield completion was with less than two minutes to go in the first quarter against Houston. You know, so like I think you just think like, oh, this is Russell Wilson and everybody else. But it like it just hasn't been that. So I don't know if it's a health thing. I don't know if the time off. I mean, I can't imagine having surgery and a pin put it in my finger. Never mind having that done and then rushing back and then going playing quarterback in the NFL. So whether it's it's uh you know that's not all the way healthy or something about the feet married to the upper body, um, it, it certainly works in scramble drills. Amazing. It's amazing in scramble drills, but when it's sort of a design thing, I just feel like this offense still isn't clicking the way that they uh, are capable of clicking. Yeah, we got to see some of the positive signs. I mean, with the, the bomb to lock it uh, to right at the end of the first half, well, not quite at the end, but about a minute left in the first half. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that is so vintage Russell Wilson. Yeah, that, that was awesome. Great play call. And, and really, it's, it's funny because the chemistry between he and Lockett is as good as you'll ever find in the history of the game anywhere. Like anybody. Three straight thousand yard seasons now. For it's amazing. And, and the chemistry with, with Russell and DK just seems to be off. Like something's not clicking. But the touchdown pass to Lockett is it was like perfect it was a corner post by Lockett Russell has a little bit of pressure inside it was a sloppy pass rush by Houston they give Russell Wilson they lose outside contain which you cannot do to Russell Wilson he's so good outside the pocket especially to his right they give him a little bit of time and then he just throws an absolute dart (laughs) way downfield perfect throw perfect route as good as you can do dagger right before halftime I mean it just like if you're Houston at that moment, you're like, "What are we doing?" Like that we've seen that highlight over and over again, and we just gave him another one. Like, yeah, a really great play for Seattle, Matt. If if you you mentioned uh, your ESPN stuff that you do in New York with the guys on the weekend, so if you were to if you were to bring up in a production meeting, hey, I really want to do some stuff on Tyler Lockett. What is the what is the vibe you'd get back? Like it seems like at least here. Like, he's an unbelievable receiver, three straight thousand-yard seasons, everything you just said about him, and he just doesn't seem to get a lot of the national recognition, even the DK Metcalf or some of the other folks do. Yeah, well, he doesn't look the same. Like, when he came in to meet Pete Carroll for the first time, Pete Carroll didn't take his shirt off, right? <laughs> you know, like, that's just like, he looks unassuming. He probably kind of got my hair cut back in, you know, 2004. You know, like, it's a, he doesn't look it, but he's amazing. Like, he's, he's very, very fast. Obviously, people know that. But, you know, I think a couple things that he doesn't really get credit for, like on deep balls as an example, he does an amazing job of basically deciding how fast he and the defender are going to run. You know, and so essentially, like, he'll run faster, kind of like Seabiscuit. Like, you can't out throw, you can't throw it too far enough. Like, I, if I got to run faster, I'll run faster. I'll run as fast as you make me run. But also, like, if you're not going to throw it that far, I'm going to just be running good form running. I look like I'm covered, and then I separate at the last second. You know, it's, it's similar, I think, in a way to, like, a baseball catcher who is, you know, sort of framing the strike zone after a pitch. Like, the pitch might have been outside the strike zone, and, like, he brings it back in. I think I think certain great deep ball catchers have the ability to do that kind of a thing also. You couple that with Russell Wilson being one of the great deep ball throwers, meaning, the you know, the, the ball, the nose of his ball comes down the chimney instead of, like, running away from the receiver that that's really impressive. But I think the other thing is just his scra- his ability in scramble situations to get free. 
And, and, and I know how, I know how he does it, but it's amazing that it still continues to work, um, time and time again. You saw a great example of it on the two point conversion where he's covered, plays over, and now it's scramble drill. You know what you have to do. You have to plaster to the receiver. How did he get so wide open? And, uh, and how did Russ find him? He's slippery. well, it, you know, it's a little bit like getting face guarded. You know, my kids play lacrosse and like there's a there's a technique uh, known as face guarding and do it in a lot of sports. Mm-hmm. But the best way to get open is not to sort of like hustle, 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 because the person they'll be engaged and stay with you the whole time. The best way to get one of the best ways to get open on a face guard is to completely relax now, when you completely relax, the defender completely relaxes just for a half second, and then boom, you're gone. You're out. And that's what, that's what you see, I think, with, with uh, Tyler Lockett. A lot of his big plays come after the person did a great job of sort of covering him and locking him down, and then scramble drill. Again, there's, there's really no one better in the NFL right no, now. No, that's good. And, and I like the text here from uh, 415. says, I'm still really impressed at how Lockett is still great even after the awful leg injury. It's true. And by all accounts, just an all-time great guy. Just got nominated for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award as well. Um, we've been kind of dis- discussing today, Matt, and it's it's a little more of a big-picture conversation, and, and it's interesting. A uh, quick Twitter poll shows that people are split on this almost exactly 50-50. In fact, right now it says exactly 50-50. With well, just a simple question of should Russ have a, deci- a voice in personnel decisions for the Seahawks? Because it seems like that is... You know, somewhere in the midst of of the crux of what's really going on with whatever friction may may be existing right now. In your experience, what does that look like from a quarterback, and and what level of voice should an elite quarterback get in the in the personnel decisions for a franchise? Yeah, well, I, voice is is uh, you know it, it's a tricky word because voice, of course, of course, you should have a voice. But I think no matter what business you're in, quarterback. Uh, football, GM, media, like any any business at all. It's about relationship. It's about relationship more than anything. And having a good working relationship with the people that you work with, communicating, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, if you're the quarterback and you're communicating with your coaches, whether it's position coaches, head coaches, scouts, GM, whatever, you're com- communicating, hey, I really like this. Hey, you know what I really, hey, that was a great game Tyler Lockett had. Yeah, you know what I love about Tyler Lockett? Here's what I love. Here's what I think works. Hey, Rashard Penny had a great game. Yeah, you know why I think he had a great game? Like you get to know each other. You have relationship. Like right. that's that that to me is important. And so that's some of that like is like in play calling, right? I mean, like I, I like in terms of what plays and game planning and some of that stuff makes sense for you. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be that like uh, specific. It can be can kind of be big paintbrush type things. You know, like just having a relationship where you understand, you know somebody so well that you know what they would like. It's kind of like with your spouse a little bit. Like, I don't need to know necessarily like where my wife need like wants to have dinner, but I know like kind of generally what she's looking for. <laughs> you know what I mean? She does not want a white tablecloth on the table, right. right? She wants to get in, get out. It can be hip. It can be cool. But like, that's her. Like, I understand that. So I, the, the, I don't need to be like, where do you want to have dinner tonight? Because like, I'm not going to get the answer that I want. What I need to do is kind of study, like, all right, what is she looking for? She's looking for not that and not that. So I can be right in here and I'm, I'm good. You know, it's like, just the, it's like the relationship part of it. So a voice, 100%. Like every, every franchise quarterback should have a voice. You should know what, they're, what, what makes them feel comfortable. But I also had a, a position coach, one of the great coaches that I've ever had. Uh, his name was Clyde Christensen. He was... 
Peyton Manning's quarterback coach, and then he was our quarterback coach when Andrew Luck was the starter in Indianapolis, and now he's Tom Brady's quarterback coach. So this guy knows what he's talking about with quarterbacks. And, you know, one of the speeches that he would give, he would give it to Peyton, he would give it to Andrew, I'm sure he's giving it to Tom Brady. Your job is not to be the head coach. Your job is not to be the defensive coordinator. Your job is not to be the GM. You might have great ideas. The best way you can help our team is by becoming, and working hard at this, becoming the best quarterback on the planet. You want to help our team? Become the best quarterback on the planet. That's how you can help our team. And that was Clyde's advice to Peyton Manning, to Andrew Luck, to Tom Brady. I think it's great advice because on a team, you know, it's the old Bill Belichick thing, do your job. If everyone just does their job at a high level, the team is very, very successful. And that's hard to do. The easier thing to do is to like, ah, oh, you know, man, I, if, if our if our if our kick if our field goal team was better, you know, like you know, or if if we were a little bit better in the secondary, or hey, if we just had a pass rush that was consistent, you know, like that kind of stuff, like that that is not as helpful for culture and for focus as um, as the Bill Belichick way, as the Clyde Christensen way, and so you know, I, I don't know specifically what is or is not going on in Seattle, so I can't really say to that. Mm-hmm. But this this broader uh, topic of quarterbacks being also the GM, like I think for me, it comes down to just really more about relationship and trust and knowing each other. Were you asked at times about players and and personnel? I mean, with, was that a relationship you had either with? Holmgren or or with anybody else along the way? Yeah, there was times later in my career where, you know, whether it was a scout or a GM would say something or ask about uh, my opinion on maybe a person or a player or something. But it wasn't like they were going to make their decision based off of what I said. It was just it was more of a, I guess, a piece of the story. Sure. You know, and trying to get if, a different if, perspective. And if you were to if you were to walk away, I, this is how I would interpret those conversations. If you were to walk away from the conversation and say, "Okay, what did the quarterback think?" Here's what the quarterback thinks. I do not care how that player did at the combine. I do not care. I want to know can that player play football on Sundays, right? And that's why for me. Bobby Ingram, who was short and not the fastest guy on the field, but a great football player, a great run blocker, a great teammate, a sure-handed guy, smart. Like, give me that guy. Give me a ten of those guys over some guy that is six foot four that ran a four foot four. Uh, sorry, a four point four forty at the combine. Like that. That doesn't impress me. That doesn't mean that you go and scout all Bobby Ingrams. That's just that's the the mindset is like, hey, don't go get some combine hero who can't play football. Mm-hmm. That's that's not what I was looking for. D- did you feel like you had a better sense of that with certain positions? I mean, could you tell more about a receiver than a lineman, for instance, or anything like that? You know, honestly, for me, I, I tried to be very, very focused on uh, working on the things that I needed to work <laughs> on. But, but I would say this. There was one common denominator, whether that was an offensive lineman, a special teams player, a, de- a defensive player, unselfishness and being a great teammate – like it's so so uh, infectious and contagious in such a positive way when you get a bunch of people that are hard workers and unselfish and all like everybody's in and you're rowing with the same thing like it's so great it is so great and conversely when you don't have that or you have the opposite of that 
I don't care how talented you are. If you're arrogant and it's all about you, it's uh, it's not much. It's not much fun to be your teammate. As you're talking, I couldn't. Help. I don't know how many times you've seen Miracle, the Herb Brooks yeah. story. I've probably seen oh, it a yeah. thousand. I love that movie, but I just I love the scene after he yells at the guy and Ruzioni speaks. You know, talks back to him and he says, "You just worry about your own game. There's plenty there to keep you busy." <laughs> it's, just, it's so perfect. And, just, and, and tr- truthfully, that's true for most most players, most athletes, most everybody. You know, but all right. Hey, yeah. uh, we're gonna give uh, the code word here as soon as we come back, and then uh, I want you to. We're gonna try this. We'll try something a little different. I'm gonna play you uh, a little play by play and see if we can get a little breakdown of what made a play successful for the Seahawks on Sunday, and then we'll be ranking things in just 20 minutes. So a lot still to come with Matt Hasselbeck, including tickets to the Detroit game. Don't go anywhere. Mike Salk show with Matt Hasselbeck. Seven ten. ESPN Seattle. The Matt Hasselback Show, presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Every Wednesday from 9 to 10. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Well, we got some miracle talk on the show today. That definitely still makes me cry most times. I've become a big crier when it comes to movies, though, so I don't know what's become of me, Matt. It's sad. Nothing wrong with that. A great movie can make anyone cry. TV shows, though, commercials, I don't know. Once I had kids, the whole thing kind of got away from me. I'm not uh, not necessarily proud of it. All right. Here, a, we, a, so, a softer side to Mike Salk. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I obviously present such a tough guy exterior that uh, there's got to be a soft side underneath it somewhere. Let me uh, let me first give a code word here. Uh, we will announce our Matt Hasselbeck Seahawks code word of the day. You go to 710sports.com slash win. Enter the code word blitz, B-L-I-T-Z. By the end of the show, be entered to win two tickets to see the Seahawks host the Lions. Remember, that code word will expire at 10 a.m., half hour from now. Details and rules and enter at 710sports.com slash win. You comfortable with Blitz for this yeah, week? Yeah, I like Blitz because the Rams are not a big Blitz team. They do they do not Blitz the Seahawks, however. Mm. Uh, a lot of Blitzing last week against Houston. And you didn't know who it was going to be because it wasn't Jamal Adams, you know, just trying to Blitz him. You know, so it was like bringing this safety, bringing that safety. A lot of TFLs. TFLs tackle for loss. TFLs second and 11 plus leads to sacks on second or third down. I like it. I like the I like the code word. Good well, job. Now, if I had Aaron Donald on my defensive line, I probably wouldn't need to blitz that often either, right? I mean, like, doesn't that sort of exactly. help? <laughs> exactly. You know, the Rams, though, what they're not good at is stopping the run. Right. Like, if you're committed to running at them, that, that's, a, that's a win for you. So maybe we can keep this going. All right. Let me, uh, speaking of the run, so we said we we're going to try something new. We'll see how this goes. We don't have, like, a whiteboard or anything for you to break down the play, but after listening to you describe Cooper Cup's play that he was uh, kind of going in depth on last week, thought it'd be fun to try this. So I'm going to play you a uh, play-by-play clip from the game on Sunday, and then uh, let's see kind of what you saw on this one. I know you've watched the film on it, so here you go. Two tight ends on the right side, and that's the side. Penny goes to breaks free. Stiff arms a man down to the 20. He's going to go 15-10-5. Touchdown, Seahawks. Rashad Penny, 32 yards and a big stiff arm, and he sticks it in the end zone. There are a lot of 12s who are loving it in the sunshine in Houston, and the Seahawks go on top 9-7. That is the man John Schneider drafted.
drafted in the first round a couple of years back. All right, that was the first touchdown of the game for Rashad Penny. Steve Rabel, obviously, the call. If he were here, he would say, Matthew, what did we see there? <laughs> well, I thought it was three tight ends uh, on that right side. But uh, listen, th- that play was so great. But can I just go back? The play before that was set up. It was a huge 25-yard kind of a crossing route, fake run to the right, uh, Patriot pass, I call it. It was a hard action, and the tight end runs all the way across. They hit Disley for 25 yards mm-hmm. to play before that. And so, like, the no surprise that the run on the very next play in a heavy heavy set with both tight ends, uh, you know, the basically guys that are getting blocked are sitting there covering the tight ends that are getting ready to block them. So what was so great about it, it was a heavy run formation, Everybody blocked down. All three of those tight ends blocked down. But the unsung hero for me on the play was the backside X receiver, the, the single receiver. It was D. Eskridge. Mm-hmm. He's on the line of scrimmage on the left-hand side. He became the lead blocker. He goes behind the line of scrimmage. Russell Wilson and Rashad Penny, they did like a little bit of counter footwork to allow D. Eskridge to get in front. And he gets in front, and he has a great block on the corner. And, again, remember I was saying, like, we're going to leave one for you running back, number 20, Rashad Penny. Your guy is number 20, the safety for Houston. And that was the one guy left for him. And then he gave that Marshawn Litch stiff arm and then just took it to the house. So it was a it was a team effort on it. I think the best block was ironically by a wide receiver, but all set up by the hard play action the play before mm-hmm. with an explosive so we, we don't usually think about play action passing setting up the running game, but but there's got to be that kind of relationship back and forth, right? That was a huge Mike Holmgren thing. He would say it all the time. Guys, we're going to set up the run with the pass. We're going to set up the run with the pass. Not that we would always do it, but if they are going to have a game plan, we're going to flip their game plan and use it against them. And, and quite honestly, that play that they ran right before it, that is the Tom Brady Patriot pass that people are now starting to steal from the Buccaneers who stole it from the Patriots. And it is such an effective thing because what happens is the left guard pulls. The play action is to the right with the quarterback and the running back. And those linebackers are taught if the guard pulls, you go with them. If the guard pulls, you go with him. Your eyes go with him. And at the same time, the tight end's running behind. And so, like, it, it's a, it, that is such an effective way to get a completion that's an explosive. And then the very next play, I believe it was three tight ends. I'd have to go check it. But I think it was three tight ends on the right. They all blocked down. And instead of being aggressive, those linebacker types are sitting there, like standing there, sort of in coverage on tight ends who are doing nothing more than blocking. And, uh, and again, a great, great run by Rashad Penny. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I love that. And also, I, I will also admit, I thought in real time that it was going to be holding on D.S. Grinch. And not that he necessarily held him, but just when you see a wide receiver yeah. make a play like that, yeah, it's going to come back. It, and, it was awkward. It was an awkward play by him. He's not the biggest guy, but I think the number on the corner was 39. He, he was equally as awkward. And, <laughs> and as, as, a run, as, a, as a wide receiver, when you're talking about wide receiver blocks, <laughs> you don't need a pancake block. Okay, That's not your job. Your job is to get in the way and just do enough. And he did just enough. That's 
was pretty funny. Uh, you mentioned blitzing and how the Seahawks did quite a bit of it. Uh, I was talking to Pete Monday, and he said something that kind of leads into that, Matt, so I wanted to play it for you. Um, talking about sort of what they do and, and sort of how they're designed up front on defense. Our guys are really suited to play the running game. You know, with, with Al and, and Brian Monet, who we're going to miss for some here, uh, and, and Puna inside, those guys have been phenomenal. And, and what's happened is our linebackers have 240 tackles, you know, behind that line of scrimmage, and, and, and the running game has been really good. Our pass rush has really been been hard to find, and, and uh, we've generated when we pressure. But the our guys are trying, and, and they're just – they're, they're built, you know, for another style. And so we're doing the best we can with that. But I think the defense is playing excellent football right now. What do you hear there from Pete? Yeah, a lot of things I agree with. Defense tackles have been strong. Like this defense has struggled at times. Defensive tackles have not struggled. You know, when you see a lot of tackles by linebackers, that usually means the D tackles are doing their job. Um, they've not gotten consistent production from the defensive ends or other ways to get home. I, I love Daryl Taylor. Like I, I've, I've been, I think I told you guys, mm-hmm. I tried to get our Sunday NFL countdown show to do like a big thing on him after the Colts game. And they were like, great, great, great. Uh, how many sacks does he have? And I'm like, well, he doesn't really have any, I don't <laughs> think, but he's gonna like, it's amazing. You should see. And you know, he's learning, he's a young player and they're dropping him some just so he doesn't get doubled and stuff like that. But they have not really found a consistency at just getting a four man rush with pass rusher types. They're better at stopping the run. And so what they've done is they've tried to blitz people, usually with Jamal Adams. I, I actually think that that ended up working against them. Everyone knows that they're going to blitz him because he's much better as a blitzer. He's not very good in coverage. You kind of know what's going to happen. And in this last game, you weren't really sure. Like, is it going to be that safety? Is it going to be 26? Is it going to be 28? Like, like who's, who's coming? We don't really know. It's kind of everybody's coming. And, but you don't know when. And that's what led to a lot of sort of like uh, I mentioned earlier, TFLs. Like, you know, they were on run plays, ironically. But those run plays will set up those opportunities for your Daryl Taylors and guys like that to just pin their ear, ears back and give you a third and ten. There were a lot of third and tens in this in this game. And I think that's one of the reasons that you saw these pass rushers come a little bit more alive than they have. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they 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 don't seem to have a lot of complete defensive linemen, so they're almost like they're trying to you know get the best out of the guys they have. Al Wood's not a great pass rusher, but he does a whole lot of other things well. So find a way to utilize that, right? Yeah, you know who else is like that a lot is the Washington football team. They're they're not getting production out of their defensive ends consistently, but their interior guys are amazing. Drunk and it's pain. one of the reasons they're that's one of the reasons that they're a playoff team right now. It's not as sexy as guys who are just you know coming off the edge and you can watch them. Um, they're, these are the guys in the trenches, but they're making the people around them better. All right, good stuff. Matt Hasselbeck uh, with us. As we said, you can go to 710sports.com slash win, enter the code word BLITZ to, to be entered a pair, uh, to win a pair of tickets to go see the Seahawks and Lions. Uh, what is that? Right after, uh, right after New Year's. Uh, more coming up with Matt. As always, we will rank things. This has usually led to either uh, some great stories or some good fun. We will do it coming up next on the Matt Hasselbeck Show here on 710 ESPN Seattle. 
Got a list? Time to put it in order. Fred Dwarmfor's house. Top five. Top five meals that I have ever had. This is Ranked. To be honest, that list was really biased. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. Every morning at 945 on the Mike Salk Show. That's top ten list. I'm not buying that. Ranked. Well, thank you, everybody, for the uh, nice compliments here for the Matt Hasselbeck Show. Lots of good texts today, Matt, at 206-421-3776. Mac and Jack's text line. Just wanted you to know how much I enjoy the Matt Hasselbeck Show. Getting insight from Matt is great. And Salt comes up with some good questions every now and then. Keep up the good work. So there you go. Love listening wow, to Matt. We have a lot it. of these. Mac and Jacks. I had a kegerator of Mac and Jacks when I was in Seattle. Sounds was, right. Uh, yeah. It was good. Those are the good memories. You also never know what you're going to get in the text line because the next one says, Hey, Mike, I like how Tyler Lockett says Pizza Hut. So, like, you never know. <laughs> you never know what people are thinking about while they're listening to the show. <laughs> I got nothing for that. No, nor should you. <laughs> Neither do I. Uh, all right, today's ranking. Um, we were we were talking about assistant coaches, and I forget how we got here. Something to do with Pete and scheme versus what other guys are doing. Anyway, we started thinking about position coaches and wondering, you know, top coach, you know, head coaches and coordinators get so much of the press, but I know a lot of the real work and relationships are with position coaches. So I thought we'd ask you some of your favorite position coaches that you were around in your time. Oh, I like this one. That's good. Uh, this is tough because I've had so many great coaches, both quarterback coaches, you know, guys going back to college. Like Dirk Cutter was my quarterback coach. Uh, Green Bay, Mike McCarthy was our position coach. Like it was great, but I guess in no particular order, I guess I'll just give you a few okay. coaches that were really special. So for me, it's got to start with Jim Zorn. Like I, we kind of joke, he's kind of like a Mr. Miyagi type coach. Like he has you doing these drills and you're like, what on earth is this drill? What's this ever going to, you know, do for me or whatever like literally that week in the game you'll do something you'll see something on film and you're like oh my gosh that was wax on wax off like what the heck like that really worked so you know he gets a lot of credit for the slip and slide bringing john olrood in to teach us how to slide and stuff like that but it seemed like he always had great drills that showed up so uh yeah jim's orange and he drive his bike to work right yeah, all the time. We used to take bets on, like, what day he was going to crash, because he would always crash at some point. He'd show up with, like, a skinned-up leg or shoulder. It was like, I felt terrible for him, but he loved biking so much that he it was a risk he was willing to take. Yeah. And, uh you know, on icy roads. Oh, well. All right. So Jim Zorn, I knew that was going to be on the list. Of course sure. you did. Here's one you might not know. Stump okay. Mitchell. Stump Mitchell was our running backs coach. He's the running backs coach uh, in Cleveland right now, doing a great job with that run game. But he would sometimes address the team. And one of my favorite things that he ever said to fire us up before uh, addressing the team, he would say, let's just say it's Houston, okay, the game against Houston. He'd say, hey, guys, you know why Houston's coming out to play us on Sunday? You know why? Because the league's making them. They don't want to play us on Sunday. <laughs> I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. So when he moved on, I stole that line. He used it a lot. I loved it. All yeah, right. It was great, great line. Stump Mitch. I was not expecting stump, so that's good. No. Well, I, you know, you said I was predictable. I don't like that. So <laughs> here's one. Here's another one. Jerry Gray. Jerry Gray was the DB's coach, Pete Carroll's first year in Seattle, and does not get enough credit for the impact he had on what became the Legion of Boom. I mean, it was Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, two young players kind of playing new roles that they had ever played. Jerry Gray, a really impressive coach. Uh, I was with him in Seattle. He ended up becoming the defensive coordinator in Tennessee. He's currently 
uh, coaching DBs and the pass game coordinator for the Green Bay Packers, who are the number one seed in the NFC right now, best record in all of football at 10-3. and three. So Jerry Gray, uh, I'm sure his name will pop up for head coaching opportunities. He is a good coach in my mind, and again, his impact on what became the Legion of Boom was was and was uh, was strong. What's the dude? They don't they have a guy that was like on a bunch of practice squads with the Cardinals and stuff this year in their secondary. Rasul Douglas, yes. yes, who's like really he's like now he's like one of the best corners in the league this year. It's well, crazy. I, and I will I will say the danger with a great DB coach is that they're riverboat gamblers. Right, like they'll jump routes and they'll go for those pick sixes, and it works for a stretch. But then you get like some veteran guys who've studied film. I'm thinking of Tom Brady. I'm thinking of Dak yeah. Prescott. Like, uh, careful. Careful. Like, they'll, they, they might make you pay okay. down, down the road. Give me two more. Okay, another one. Clyde Christensen. Talked about him earlier in the show. Quarterback coach for currently for Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, really a tremendous coach. When it comes to December football, you hear a lot of people talking about you got to play your best football in December. How do you do it? A lot of people over-try. They try to do stuff they haven't been doing. I thought Arizona versus the Rams recently this week, the, the game they lost, they were trying too hard. They were trying too hard. One of my favorite things, kind of the things that Clyde Christensen would write on the whiteboard when we'd walk in the quarterback room, say, like, December football. And it would have all these different things that you needed to do. And the number one thing he would say is, like, guys, we do not, like, using the analogy of an axe cutting down a tree, we do not need to swing the axe harder. Okay, we don't have to try harder. We don't have to swing the axe harder as quarterbacks. All we have to do is sharpen the blade. And to me, that's what December football is all about, and he's nailed it. He does a great job of messaging that, and uh, you know, he, he's, a, he's a phenomenal person and a phenomenal coach. It seems like being a good coach in the NFL, there's a large part of it that involves just coming up with good metaphors. Yeah, it's not necessarily just a metaphor, though. Like, it's a word picture, yeah, to they remember it by. You, right? There are things that, that a player can relate to and understand, and they stick with you. You remember them over time. Well, they got to be real, and they got to be right. Yeah. And, like, people say, oh, why did Tom Brady choose Tampa Bay? I, I promise you a, a factor in Tom Brady choosing Tampa Bay was the quarterback coach, Clyde Christensen, <laughs> who was a good friend of Peyton Manning. I'm sure Tom called Peyton Manning and said, hey, tell me about the quarterback coach. Right. And he's like, hey, there's no one. Like, seriously, you got to go. We, like, it's worth it. We got 30 seconds. Give me one more. All right, I'm going to go Andy Reid. Obvious. This is the guy that was the one coach that showed up at my pro day. He was an assistant coach with the Green Bay Packers. No one knew who he was. And, you know, he had one coaching point for all of our quarterbacks, Brett Favre or me or everybody. Stay low. Just stay low in the pocket. Hey, but coach, every every TV commentator says stand tall in the pocket. He says that's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Quarterbacks, stay low. I 100% agree, and I'll, I'll, i I got to throw a little shout-out to my former position coach, Andy Reid. That's awesome. Matt, good stuff. He's always impressed. Even when we're not really sure what we're going to do, they always seem to lead to good stuff. Hey, I'm not sure either, so I'm glad you're not sure. <laughs> That was fun. Uh, as I said, I'm not going to be around next Wednesday. So uh, have a good Christmas. Have a good holiday. Uh, we, we will meet up afterwards. This has been a blast. Thanks for everybody for listening. If you missed any of this, you can download the whole thing at 710sports.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. And we'll uh, send out some videos of this later in the day. For Matt Hasselbeck, I'm Mike Salk. Have a good rest of your day. Stick around for Jake and Stacy, And we'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Goodbye.